I've always been intrigued by the stories of people in the jewelry industry who make these items, what inspires them, and brings them to this world. I'm here to share their stories. This is A Thousand Facets. When I think of Max Danger, a few words come to my mind. Bees, aliens, robots, monkeys, mammoths, but above all, precision. This classically trained artist breaks all the boundaries of jewelry and creates the most incredible work of art. Hope you enjoy my conversation with him. I'm just going to start saying how um, I learned about your work, which is like I was online and I... I, I don't remember, I think it was on Pinterest. And what I remember was a teacup with a bee. And I'm like, what is this? And I went on this rabbit hole and started finding your work. And it has huh? robots and it has bees. And it was all very cerebral. Certain cerebral is the word, mm-hmm. sorry. And it was just like really fascinating. So I, I posted your work and I think we start chatting on, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then I went to London for a trip and you, and <laughs> I just love because it's like, I messaged you and I said, Hey, I'm going to be in London for like a few days. And you're like, I'm actually in Denmark at the moment. <laughs> oh, really? I don't even remember that. <laughs> I remember that. I remember. And and you're like, and I'm like, no. And you said, but I arrived Tuesday and I said, and I'm, and I said, I'm leaving Wednesday. So uh-huh. we met in the hotel lobby in my, in the hotel that I was staying and you had a little backpack with half of your collection. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my God. But we had a great conversation and I think we hit it off and I think we became friends after that. Definitely. I've, I found that was a really interesting encounter for so many reasons. So, so the way I remember it, first you we had been writing a bit and you wrote me that you were hosting this, not hosting, but arranging this dinner for all like all these different makers in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at, at a very late point, you asked me if I wanted to partake and then I was not available or in Denmark or whatever. And the only option was to meet late at night in the hotel lobby <laughs> <laughs> at this hotel with this strange woman I never met. <laughs> so, so I packed a lot of a really expensive jewelry and I was living in Brixton at the time. And for some reason, I didn't think of the option of taking a taxi. So I, I jumped on the bus and I was super I, paranoid to get robbed. And I was I know, just pressing was down as much as so possible. Stressed. <laughs> I was so stressed about it. I'm like, oh my God, this guy is coming. But, you know, I didn't rob you. No, I was more thinking about the journey there because Brixton is quite a, a rough area, you know. Oh, I've never been there. Okay. Or maybe I have. I don't know. I've been to so many weird places in London, I have to say. People just like drag me to places. Perfect. It's the only way. Um, so uh, can can you let me know, where do you grow up? I grew up uh, on the north part of Copenhagen. Oh, really? So if, if you are Copenhagener, you wouldn't say I'm from Copenhagen. But if you are from all other places in Denmark, you'd say I'm from Copenhagen. <laughs> How, why is that? It's, you know, it's it's the peripheral of, of Copenhagen. So mm. if you're a proper Copenhagener, then you'd say, what are you talking about? You're not from Copenhagen. But and, and how was your everybody. childhood over there? It, uh, it's a very rich area. And I came from a family that wasn't as rich as the rest. Mm. It's not like we were broke or needed anything but we didn't have a car and we didn't have 
money to buy the new shoes every week and stuff like that. So it was it was mixed, I'd say. But mm. I mean, I'm I'm really happy for my childhood. Um, I don't know if I actually belonged in, in that mm. uh, segment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's well, been good. I think you you have a very artistic father. So definitely, yeah, yeah. Did he used to do the the sculptures before when you were growing up? He used to be a children's book illustrator. Oh, really? And he actually made a book about me as well when I was a kid. Oh, really? What about? Yeah. It's about me as a child trying to help out, uh, help my mom in the family. And oh. basically every time I help out, I mess something up. So if I feed the chickens, then if I get too close to a chicken, then and she has to ca go and catch them. And while she's catching the chickens, then... I go paint a beautiful painting on the wall. And when she's cleaning the wall, I make lunch and all this stuff. And yeah, at the oh end God. of the day, uh, I cut myself on a knife and she needs to comfort me. And while she's comforting me, then she falls asleep. And I'm thinking about all the stuff I can help her with while she's sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so do you have a copy of that book? I do, yeah. Oh, I would like to see it. You yeah, it's in Danish, but I'll translate. It's it's easy reading because <laughs> it's a children's book. Yeah. Oh, I love but that. But it's funny because I can recognize all the like the furniture and lamps and toys and stuff from my childhood in the book. Oh, that's beautiful. That's I love that. And and it's just like it just brings back the memories all the time. Definitely. Yeah. Um yeah, can no, you... so he was oh sorry, he was a um, child children's book illustrator. And then it's only in the like last maybe 10 or 15 years he started doing a lot of sculptures instead of that's very cool yeah, yeah so do you feel you have like a little bit of that creativity that you brought that creativity from him like do you think like he he you know build that for you help you um I, I think i'm definitely influenced by my surroundings where i grew up both from my mom and dad um And I think the absurdity and a more humorous part of maturity definitely comes from there. <laughs> what about uh, your What about your mom? What does she do? Well, she she used to be a graphic designer, and she's a, a children's gardens teacher now. Oh wow! So they both are creative. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you were bound to be creative. Well, it's like, it, yeah, well, sometimes it, you run the other it, way, you know. Exactly, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, if, if sometimes it's like the, my, my like, yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, So can can you tell me where the the name Max Danger comes from? Because I don't know. I, I don't think you become from like you come from the danger family. <laughs> We are a family of dangers. <laughs> um, actually, there's there's nine dangers in in Denmark. Really, I'm not one of them officially. So uh, kudos to their family. Is it is it, is it pronounced danger or danger? Probably not. It's probably pronounced. Danger, danger, like that. really boring, you know. Um, <laughs> But dangerous is more more interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the reason of to the name is it kind of evolved through time. So in the beginning, I was about 18 or 19 years old in high school, and Jagas was a really big thing, uh, and we all used to watch it and do stupid stuff in the weekends when we were drunk. And I got hurt quite a few times and got stitched up in the emergency room. And then I just used to joke and say that Danger was my middle name. And when um, when they printed the yearbook in school, you could make changes to your name. So I just put in Danger between my real name and my last name. And they didn't even ask any questions. They just printed it. And suddenly Danger was my middle name in <laughs> high school. Oh and then, <laughs> then I talked to my parents 
a while after, and they talked about maybe we should have named you Max originally. That was oh, really? on the table. And then I put two and two together and I thought, oh, Max Danger, that sounds really cool. I like that. I, I just decided every time I met a new person that I would introduce myself as Max Danger and, and convinced them it was my real name. <laughs> And when they finally found out my real name, it was too late because they were so used to calling me Max. So it, it just became really common terminology. I love that. that. And, and then it was very late, actually, at, at when I studied at the Royal College of Art in London, that they told me, like, you need to take this further and, and turn it into a brand instead of just having a laugh, you know? No, of course. Yeah, I think yeah. it's, it's definitely... Well, that's the thing is like I, I tell people your name and they know mm. who you are and they can see your work immediately, which is that's the thing. It's like it's a brand. It's it's that it's deeper mm. than just the name. It's just who you are and what your work stands for. Because I feel yeah. like your work is very like it, you you push the boundaries and you live a little dangerous sometimes in like the things that you do and just the amount of work that you put in one piece is very very mm. impressive so um do you have a first memory of jewelry i have early memories of jewelry i'd say um i grew up with an aunt who was very fond of jewelry and my grandma as well and i think one of the very earliest thing was that my grandma, she was like a proper posh British woman. Oh, really? That then moved to Norway and, and she had like a, a pretty good jewelry collection, as far as I remember. Oh, and wow. she showed me and I was staring long enough at all that jewelry that, and there was some loose, what I thought was diamonds at the time. It turned out to be rhinestones. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and when you're a kid. <laughs> when I was a kid and she saw me stare for so long that suddenly she said, you can pick, it up, pick a diamond if you want to. And <laughs> I got, got this diamond and I ran out to my mom and I said, look, I got a diamond. And she was like, I don't think that's a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really change the fact that I was like, that's all heels about. <laughs> Finally having a proper gemstone in my hands. I love that. <laughs> um, and then, then later, I was just, I, I was always looking in, in jewelry shops through the window. And I, one thing was the sparkling stones and the whole like Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck setting with, with the stones and the gold and the fascination. But it was also the fascination of how on earth did they make those things? Mm -hmm. Like the craftsmanship behind, because I could not wrap my head around it. Yeah. Like where to begin? It's it's hard metal, and how do you put a stone into that? And how do you make it round? And like all that stuff that's obvious to me now was just a really big puzzle to me back then. Yeah, so that was definitely part of my fascination as well at the time. I love that. I think that's that's and and those are the things that form us and become who we are. It's like those things that grab us mm -hmm. immediately. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, like I I love you know I studied fashion first, but it was just like touching the fabrics and seeing everything that can like just like a flat piece of fabric what can it become and I found it really interesting yeah. and then jewelry became afterwards my passion but it was just like anything that had to do with self-expression was for me something that was very important um but I I know for a fact that you started doing graffiti at a younger age yeah tell me a little bit about that how old were you when you started <laughs> so i actually um before that then because of my fascination of jewelry i was i spent all my weekly allowances on on minerals at the geological oh. museum and i was also playing the flute 
And you play the flute? I, I played the flute. <laughs> and when I was pre-teenager or just becoming a teenager, the girls in school, they said, you're really cool, but there's two things you can't do. You cannot play the flute. It's too nerdy. And you cannot collect stones. It's too nerdy. So I put the flute girls. on the shelf and then I, I sold my stone collection, <laughs> except a, a part of it that my parents confiscated because they thought it was such a shame to sell it all. And that then is... I, I found graffiti and rap music. <laughs> I oh kind of changed the image a little bit, I suppose. Um, oh, my God. So I actually, I, I don't remember exactly why I stay, started painting. Because where I grew up, there was nobody else painting. Uh, really... There was nobody else listening to rap music. I, I think I just, I saw this graffiti movie called Wild Style, like all the other writers did. And I just got really hooked and fascinated by it. And and my parents supported me, and they bought me some spray cans, and and I went and and I got to paint my shed in in my parents' garden, and I also got to paint the basement, and my room, uh, and <laughs> it was really ugly because I wasn't that good, um, but <laughs> nonetheless I started to practice, <laughs> and then I would just after a while go out at night and and paint alone because I had nobody to paint with, oh. and it was only after middle school that um. When you change schools and you suddenly meet other creatives with the same mindset and then you suddenly had somebody that shared the interest with you um, so i met a lot of people from from the mainland to jutland and from like cities nearby and suddenly we were a whole crew of people <laughs> and lots of them had the same stories which was really interesting really like they, they found this this thing uh, and really started getting into it and nobody around them was doing it mm. I, I just find it really interesting how a passion for something can be so big that you're not influenced by the people around you you, you just need to go do it mm -hmm. and then suddenly you meet other people and they've been in another part of denmark and been doing exactly the same thing all alone until yeah. they suddenly met other people who also loved it see but uh, but and that happens especially like before the internet because it's like mm -hmm. you, you just like you find something you really believe in it and then little by little you start like finding those people and you create those groups and like that happened to me with jewelry you know it's just like finding those people that have the common ground and I have like 90% of my friends are like jewelry artists right now exactly, which is yeah. but it's but that's like the, the the thing is that you have that common passion I love that so sure. where where do you used to go and paint the day oh I, I don't know if I should go too public on this I used to um <laughs> We started, we started actually the way I met most of these people was um, there was a, a club in, in the city near me mm. that did evening school graffiti and they'd oh, come really? and pick us up in buses and then the drivers all there and this really stoned graffiti teacher would sit and he, he had a, a scholarship from the Danish Arts Foundation to draw dots on paper. So he was just sitting drawing all <laughs> these dots, dots being an artist and then he says like you all have to sketch this word we mm. would all do that and then he gave us spray cans and we go down into the yard of the school and paint and then we documented and take pictures and then the bus would pick us up and drive us home again <laughs> but then i mean we we used to have a lot of weekends with where we found old cheese factories and stuff like there's a lot of spaces in copenhagen where you could spend an afternoon and just have some beers and listen to music and we just go paint all day it's into rap music and hip-hop and paint mm. That, that was the life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think that that's, um, that's really I, I fascinating. Think for me, the graffiti culture 
showed me that everything is possible because mm-hmm. there's there's no limitations in it and and also the energy that's there like if you want to be um, acknowledged by the other writers you have to paint enough because if you don't paint enough you don't earn the trust or you don't you haven't shown your worth mm-hmm. so you have to paint two days a week or two times a week minimum yeah and then suddenly you you get you they open your arms to you and you get led into this culture which is much more than painting it's also about doing the impossible and building huts in the woods and, and finding the secret spots or traveling with no money or whatever you know it's, it's yeah. just proving to yourself that everything can be done yeah you have the will in your heart and I took that part with me with the jewelry I think yeah oh, I can totally yeah. see that that's the thing I can <laughs> totally totally see that and I love that you use that 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 ground you know that grounded you into your work on the jewelry mm. um so so how do you shift from graffiti artist to jewelry how did that shift became a reality so in reality it, um it it happened because uh i went to a school in denmark and in denmark you get paid when you study the government gives you money mm-hmm. every month as a reward Mm. So you can focus on your studies and don't have to work all the time, which is amazing. Oh, what what is what does that feel? <laughs> 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 and there was this one school that specialized in in old craftsmanships, mm-hmm. and you could do half a year courses, and you get as uh, you was called money at the same time, mm. and you could do book binding or graphic design or printmaking, uh, anything like that was there, and you were only allowed to study that two times half a year and then it was you're supposed to move on mm-hmm. but it basically attracted all the graffiti writers from Copenhagen because it was a place where you could be creative and, and go do your thing you know and yeah. so I studied there for first for half a year doing uh, printmaking and then I took another half a year where I did graphic design and I signed up again and did another half a year of it's called project workshop I think which meant you just made art basically okay and then the fourth time I applied, I also got accepted, even though it was way overdue. And the teacher you're asked, like, what are you doing? You're old already, go. <laughs> exactly. The teacher was like, what are you doing after summer? I was like, I'm starting here again. She was like, no, you're not. I said, yeah, I already got accepted. And she's like, no, you didn't. I'm going to talk to the principal. <laughs> and she went and talked to the principal and he said, you can't study anymore. You need to move on. Oh, Come no. on, move on. Yeah, so I got kicked out before I even started. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, but, but it, but it shows it shows how much passion you have for it and how much oh, you love sure. it. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was an amazing place. Everybody I talk to now, they talk about the school still. Mm. It's closed down, obviously. But oh. um, but I found another school close to that had the same course, just with jewelry. All right. Half a year's course, and I thought, all right, I'll just keep the track track record going and start there instead. <laughs> so I did, and it turned out uh, it was the first time that I did something crafty where I still felt very challenged after half a year. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'd, I only like scratched the surface of this. I mm-hmm. could keep doing this for years and years and still not master everything. Yeah. And then I, I guess the teacher at the school at the time, she also saw that passion I had for it. So she said she knew a place that was looking for a... a, a, a an apprentice and I went there and then I got an apprenticeship as a jeweler Mm. yeah and that was kind of it Uh, short long story (laughs) short 
I mean, there's a lot of bumps in the road from there, but we'll probably get to that later. Yeah. There's always bumps in the road. There's mm -hmm. never, it's never anything straight lined, which, but, but that's, uh, that's what makes us who we are, you know, like all mm -hmm. those bumps in the road. Which I think is great. the funniest thing was that by then I, I had regained my, totally my interest for jewelry and gemstones and all that. And my parents gave me the stones back. It never, it never uh, went away. That's the thing. You just yeah, yeah, to... yeah. Just took a break. Yeah. <laughs> Tell those girls, screw you. You were wrong. Oh, but now it's wrong. really cool, you know. It's, yeah, now it's something completely different. Maybe I should pick up the flute as well. I was going to say that. <laughs> I was just going to say that. You should totally pick up the flute. I will pay to see you play the flute. <laughs> okay, all right. It's on the list. <laughs> I will, if I when I go to Denmark and visit, I I expect a flute concert. I can't promise it will be good. I will I will do my best. <laughs> Maybe keep keep the headphones on when when I play. So, um, who do you apprentice for? So I started in fifty uh, kilometers outside of Copenhagen. I was a <laughs> tiny jeweler, um, <laughs> like a suburban jeweler. I did a lot of. of Um, Nordic religious um, symbols and it's quite common in those areas like the hammer of four I did so many of those pendants and mm -hmm. really ugly jewelry to be honest uh, <laughs> and I was very very unhappy there as well because uh, we did not get along and she was not a nice woman <laughs> I'm um, sorry <laughs> that's okay <laughs> but I also knew that there's only 30 people every year who gets an apprenticeship as a jeweler mm -hmm. and, and you can't be like beggars can't be choosers you know exactly But I did know that if if you do one year, and you and you then it's a lot easier to change places afterwards. Yeah. And almost after one year, I met a, a good friend of mine who was also becoming a jeweler and had been in the same situation with another mm -hmm. jeweler. And she said, "Why don't you go to my mentor? Because I'm done in in a few months, and maybe you can replace me." Mm -hmm. And I went to him, and we just we got along instantly, and. So uh, Yeah, so he uh, he he took me in after a year, and he said, "Forget everything you learned, and forget her mentality, <laughs> and we start completely over." Oh my uh, god! <laughs> <laughs> and I did, because every time I did something I learned from her, it was wrong, not wrong, but it was he had a better way of doing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we started over, and I think within a year to one and a half, then he he managed to turn me into a, a proper jeweler. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. that, I, I love that. <laughs> the, you know, you go from one place and you're like, no, this is not right. You have mm. to do. But but that's that's part of the process of growing up and like learning all, oh, you know, learning the process that, you know, some people are just going to make it wrong. <laughs> But, For sure. But, I mean, she did make jewelry. And, and if, if I look at it now, I, I feel like it's a, a blind left-handed person who make it, you know. But um. <laughs> She sold some and it was there, but it was just very different to what he was making and, and how yeah. he was making it and stuff. And what kind of jewelry your second um, um, mentor did? So he had a lot of um, questionable clients, I would say. <laughs> uh, who <Questionable>. Quite often. <laughs> <laughs> questionable so, so. clients. <laughs> so, and they, they were, it's kind of, They had a lot of MTV style bling made all the time. Oh, okay. Big, big chunky pendants. And I think the craziest one we had to make, which we unfortunately never finished, but we almost did, was Scrooge McDuck. So he was very stingy, apparently. And, and all his friends called him Scrooge McDuck. And he wanted a big pendant of, of oh uh, my God. In, in the bin. 
the money bin throwing money up in the air oh my god and then you had like uh, lots of black diamonds for the hat and a big one carrot for the mon monocle and and all that stuff and and we got to the point where it was all assembled and we just needed to get the stones in and he came and apparently he he dropped the stones out of his pocket on the way <gasps> so were, yeah so we had to he was like oh somebody's gonna be happy when they find that bag oh <laughs> and no i'll be back at some point when uh Oh no! But yeah. so Scrooge was melted, I guess. <laughs> um. So I I see you yourself. I see you as a as a master waxer. Like you're mm -hmm. really really incredible at wax carving. Can you like how do you make this tiny little objects? So <laughs> so like that came mainly when I was doing my master's in, in arts at the Royal College of Art. Mm -hmm. So actually I applied for that school because I went to visit my friend there and I saw all the tools and facilities they had and it was just amazing machines and I thought, oh my God, this could really take me in a new direction. And when I finally started there, um, there was so much health and safety that we weren't allowed to use any of the machines. Um, <laughs> And you're and like no so, totally i was so frustrated and, and you know I've, i've been at a jewelry workshop for four years and I, by now i know how to polish you know or whatever mm -hmm. so yeah it was quite a big frustration for me that somebody else had to do it and obviously there were skilled technicians there but maybe i had my way of, of wanting stuff and they didn't quite understand it or whatever so yeah oh i know it was not the way i wanted it to be and and i couldn't really it was a factor that i couldn't control because somebody else had to be involved and mm -hmm. then i was so frustrated in the end i just i sat in my corner and started wax carving instead and i just thought fuck it i'll just do wax carving instead because <laughs> I, i need to do something and um and and there was this one wax carver from denmark called senius and i just heard about his technique where he he takes a tiny bit of a drop of wax on a needle and he sculpts it up like builds mm -hmm. from the drops oh my god so i just i started with a little spirits lamp and some needles and i i started like experimenting oh. i think i spent like a whole week sculpting a tiny bunny in something called cheese wax and it was like this really you know the crust of the cheese mm -hmm. uh, super soft wax was oh, yeah. possible to work with it melts in the sun almost you know yeah uh, and i made like an easter bunny chasing eggs and the eggs a little duck feet running around and was my easter ring <laughs> yeah I, i remember that one <laughs> And, and then somebody told me you need to use the wax injection pellets from the wax injector. It's a lot better to, to work ah. with. And I tried that and that was really good. And suddenly those had more options. And then yeah. I started modifying the sewing needles and I made them more pointy and thinner and smaller. And, and then my professor at Royal College came and he said, this is so tiny. <laughs> and normally I tell people to go big or go bigger, but I think you should go smaller. <laughs> And I was like, how small can I go? <laughs> It's been smaller and smaller. Wow. And then I met another guy in Hatton Garden and he talked about, I forgot the name of the jeweler, but that he was really clever because he made these tiny wax carvings, but then he put many of them together. Mm -hmm. So the piece had a lot of volume still. Yeah. Uh, and I think that inspired me to my first cluster ring with all the tiny bees, which yeah. kind of put me on the map, I suppose, uh, many oh. years ago. That that those rings, that collection of the bees, is mm. probably a, one of my favorite collections ever, because a, a lot of people do bees, mm. but the way that you created it just felt 
it had movement and it had mm. this you know you can see them you can hear them you know and that was like the thing that I really love and you told me something about it about yeah. how you were inspired by the bees and yeah. I don't know if you remember but it I, was like that you went and saw I them to see a beekeeper yeah mm -hmm. and he allowed me to to put my jewelry in the hive and take pictures and and all these things and and I think when I saw the structure chaos in the hive Like mm -hmm. all these bees going on top of each other and they all had a purpose and a direction. And, and he started to telling me about the function <clears throat> that they all had. So you had like, you had the drone bees and you had the, the female bees and the male bees and, and all these things. And, and suddenly you, you think like, if you look at a, a major city from the top, it kind of looks the same, you know, you see all these people and they look super confused, but they all know where they're going. Mm -hmm. so I just thought when you look at bee jewelry now or before, um, you see maybe two or three bees on top of a ring or a very cute bee or whatever, but this is like the hive. That's what it is. Yeah. You can't fool anybody by putting a single bee on top of something. You know, you need to imitate what's going on inside the hive. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I tried to do with my rings, which I think I succeeded quite well with actually. Yeah, you did. I have mine and I love mine. It's like one of Good. my favorite rings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so how, and So you have your your bees and I love mm -hmm. them and you keep like building on them. You have that gigantic one that has like, <laughs> it's like it takes half of the finger, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. But then you also have the robots mm -hmm. and the monkeys mm -hmm. and the and the mammoths. Can you tell yeah. me like like how do you find those subjects that you take and you really go for them? Like how do you go about it? I think. My problem is not what to go for, it's what to deselect. <laughs> I have I have so many things I want to make. And I, I every time I have a blank screen, I just open my little book with, with stuff I want to make. I've wanted to make at a certain point. And I feel the only thing I feel is sometimes I've thought so much about it that it's already finished before I make it. <laughs> I think that's kind of healthy for me because then I don't have to make it. And that might be a good sign, actually, that that something else is is more pressing. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I started with the bees, and that was uh, that was at Royal College. I was doing all these little animals, and they were all inspired by comic books uh, and and tales, like um, narratives, basically. Mm -hmm. And one day, I was inspired by by Rasmus Klump. I have no clue what he's called in English. <laughs> uh, anyways it's about this little bear and he goes on adventures and then he has a pelican with him and a sea otter and and some other ones and um and the pelican always has whatever they need in the beak so if they need a, a drilling machine it just opens the beak and finds a drilling machine that's a good pelican to have around totally <laughs> so, so i made this this jewelry box with a, a treasure island and a little treasure on top and the pelican is, is walking on the on the island with a, the beak filled with treasure and there's a little boat that yeah. sailed into the island and there's sharks in the water and stuff and you can take the whole island of us where, where it has a ring yeah but when i made that i was so happy with the piece and then there was midterm crit at royal college mm -hmm. and i took it to my professor and he got furious there was steam coming out of his ears and he oh said my. stop making cute little animals and do some research and do some proper work <laughs> i was like whoa <laughs> and then i finished the ring obviously because i had to finish it and then i thought yeah. maybe i should actually start doing some more investigative work mm -hmm. and, and 
because that's what artists do, I suppose. Most artists post-rationalize and say they did a lot of research afterwards, <laughs> but you gotta actually also just do some research and then make some product. Yeah. <clears throat> and I walked on the street and I found this flyer for urban beekeeping. Um, and I thought this is quite a hot topic mm-hmm. and also really interesting. And that's where the bees came to life. And I really started investigating mm-hmm. <clears throat> the nature of the bees, but also how they would thrive in an urban environment. And then all the other animals are just, I don't know, I, I watch nature programs and I, I read all these scientific articles and and it's, they're just so fascinating in everything they do and how they act. And and with on that, on top of all the comic books I read through my life, I think it's it's all really closely connected. Yeah. And but that's the thing is like it's it, it I feel like sometimes in school people just want you to do very traditional way mm-hmm. of jewelry and i mm. think that what you're doing is like no you're you're pushing those boundaries you're living dangerously <laughs> <laughs> see see how i interject that yeah yeah i like but, it <laughs> but you're 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 the showing other side of what jewelry is which is art and mm. then you're showing that and your artistry and your creativity to, to your work and mm. you know it, 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 you like a professor should then that's the, the sad part about sometimes professors just like stop you to be like like push your limits mm. and that's that shouldn't be the way that it should be the opposite it should be just like no just go for it is that what you want to do go for it you mm-hmm. know but I, I think it's it's i'm a bit conflicted to that whole story because in a way you also push me in his own way Mm. It was the first time he reached me and, and actually pushed me some direction, you know. Oh, yeah. And if that's what it took, then that's fine. You know, <laughs> I just still have the image of him <laughs> in my head. It's like a cartoon character himself, you know. <laughs> See, but but that's the thing. But I, I personally think that your pelican, that that whole piece is very, mm. very interesting, you know. And, and it's yeah, just, yeah. it has your voice and it has your sense of humor. Mm. And that's like one of the things that attract me to your work it has like there's like a little sense of humor that mm. uh, you have to really get it you know you have to get it um you know I'm gonna interject here but when I when we did that Opal show um a couple of years ago mm-hmm. like you're you had a brooch that was you know it was the Opal was uh the uh, the planet the yeah. and then you have like a little alien dropping a bomb and it's like, <laughs> who comes up with these ideas? You know, who thinks about this? And mm-hmm. those are the things that I really love about your work. That is like, it, it, but, you know, and also it's like what I told you was like the Venn diagram of the person that will buy that, has exactly. the money for it, that will appreciate it. That, and, yeah. and you found that person. And I, I love that. Quick with yeah, that relatively. Yeah. yeah, I know. And I love and that. And it was not the kind of person I would expect to buy that PZ. That was yeah. really interesting, you know, but you never know. Yeah, but the, that's the thing. It's like, but they got you, and that's mm. that's what you want to do. It's like find those people that get you, and and I I get you, and I love your work, and I love what you um what you express with it. You know, <laughs> so so tell me about um how you got to the robots. Well, so basically, robots has been part of my life since forever. Uh, as the tattoo that you have in your exactly yeah that's yeah yeah. (laughs) um so i grew i grew up my dad was collecting vintage robots 
and mm -hmm. he built a, a robot shelf case that was formed like a robot. Really? It was quite subtle, but if you took a few steps back, you could see it was a massive robot standing, and, and in all the shelf cases, there was robots. Are you displayed. serious? Mm -hmm. And lots of his old illustrations and prints are also of robots, so I think that's been deeply integrated uh, in me, basically, since I was a kid. Um, and I think uh, when I made the beast, the robots had been on are always on my mind, I guess. Uh, but when I made the beast, and after a few years, when I had shows and stuff, people came and say, oh, it's the bee guy, <laughs> oh, it's the bee man. And I didn't mind that, but also didn't want to be known as the bee man, you know, because I, I feel like I do other stuff than that. Too. Yeah. And, and then I had this idea for, for the weight of the world on our shoulders, the robot yeah. ring, and that just needed to come out. Yeah. And I spent two or three months making that, and it was a nightmare. And um, and when it was finished, I was I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, because then, the thing is that it, it was all like every robot, it was every part of the robot was individually solder and yes yeah so it's built. all made from wire and in different types of gold so red gold and yellow gold and white gold and, yeah. and everything is, is tiny tiny pieces that are from wire or sheet that i kind of um formed and mm -hmm. soldered together so all all accumulated in the ring it's 102 different pieces that i was soldering <laughs> together and you know those the jewelers know that jewelers that are listening is, is when you solder something small onto something big it becomes very difficult because mm -hmm. you have to be careful not to melt the small part basically mm -hmm. and, and i mean we're talking about tiny tiny things here and and so that was very challenging to place the robots on top of the rings without melting the little hooks on the arms or whatever and oh my god getting it all straight and putting the opal on top and, you definitely have a lot of patience <laughs> definitely yeah <laughs> but you know what I, I feel with work it's work is work if mm -hmm. you love your work it's it doesn't matter if you spend three months making one ring or you make 50 pieces in one month mm -hmm. as long as you at the end of the day get paid or don't get paid if people nobody buys it but i mean if, if you think like a bit like sisyphus it's just now i'm here and i'm doing this and this yeah. is what i want to I, I think patience is a very abstract term in a way in that sense because i would still be sitting there just do something else you know <laughs> true true it's, it's more about having the overview of 102 pieces and little piles and remembering what was what that was stressing <laughs> me more than the time <laughs> See, I, I, I just personally don't have the patience to just like, <laughs> like <laughs> i will be like ah throw it away yeah 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 <laughs> so i really respect you for that trust <laughs> thank you yeah and um, I think it was also with that ring was just, I was so appreciative that people actually understood uh, yeah. the concept behind the ring as well. Yeah. And, 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 you know, recognized it both for the work, but also for the, for the statement that it was yeah. carrying. So I really yep. liked that. Too. Okay. So tell me the, you know, for the listeners, what's the meaning yeah. of the ring? So it's called the weight of the world on our shoulders. And it's, it's a modern representation of Atlas holding the world, the world mm -hmm. on his shoulders um and i think in modern society where we really rely on on the internet and robotics and and electricity to make the world turn then it's it's it shouldn't be atlas holding the world anymore it's actually little robots or machines that's uh, that we rely on so yeah. the opal on top is reflecting the world and and then there's the four little robots holding it on the shoulders on top of the ring 
I love that. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's, it's definitely has such a statement and it's such a strong mm. ring. It definitely belongs in a museum for sure. Thank you. But now it's in my safe. <laughs> so how, so how did you move to London? What was the dad change? So I knew, uh, I, I knew that I had to leave Denmark for many reasons. First of all, I was, I started making these quirky pieces, um, in Denmark, I made a, a robot bashing a stone with a hammer. It's called the robot <laughs> and the unlucky stone. Yeah. And literally nobody in Denmark or Copenhagen, they recognized the ring for what it was. They were just like, this is so weird and you can't wear it or, you know, all these things. And and like the feedback I got, it was, was so off. And I, and I thought to myself, either then I'm way off. And then I looked at it and I thought, I can't be completely off here. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. And surely somewhere, someone, someone else will think the same. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought, okay, I have to leave uh, and try somewhere else. And I always thought I was going somewhere sunny to Spain or whatever, <laughs> or Italy. Uh, <laughs> and little did he know. <laughs> yeah, little did I know. I was going to the big smoke London. Uh, <laughs> No, so basically, yeah, when I, um, my friend started studying at the Royal College of Art and I went to visit him um, and I saw the school and the facilities and I thought, this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And this is where my work belongs. And I applied for the school and a really sweet story, actually, because when you apply, then if you are good enough and lucky enough and they like your work, then they, they call you in for an interview and you have to set up a small exhibition and then they come in and you present oh, wow. your work. And and I made like... Uh, two robots and a lot of illustrations and talked about how my illustrations was mixed into my work and my graffiti background and all that stuff. And I got accepted and I was really happy. And then the student that had been present at the interviews, she said she told the teachers afterwards that if they didn't accept me, she would jump out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are a 10 in London. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Kidding, I'm kidding. I, I I love the drama. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But she only <laughs> told me that when I almost graduated, and I just I was I was so happy when I heard that story. It was like finally somebody's appreciating what no. I'm doing. No, yeah, yeah, I'm in the right place. Yeah, no, that that's that's great. And and how long you were in that school for? That was two years. Two years. Uh, I was there, and then I was privileged enough to sell some pieces at my graduation show. Mm. Um, at a at a decent price even you know you're a broke student and you're like nobody has money but it turns out somebody out there has some money and somebody bought something and um and i thought i'd be stupid to go back to denmark now which is starting yeah and that's where goldsmiths fair they they or i found goldsmiths fair and they found me and and really uh took me under the wing let's say because yeah. they, they appreciated my work and and felt it should be promoted and and as they do with many others but but yeah. yeah that's that's for me that's they are the reason that uh that people know about me today yeah i'm sure well, it would have I, been a lot longer journey if they hadn't well <laughs> i i appreciate them too because mm-hmm. you know i i love i love goldsmith um but i <laughs> i love that i was able to see your work there and i mm-hmm. i i love that i uh, i you know i got to learn about you and i'm sure that part of it is because of them pushing you uh and and so after london Mm -hmm. you you were back in denmark 
Yes, now I'm back. So <laughs> I spent seven years in London. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, at that time, it was all work every day. Almost. Like, you were working at a school too. You were working. As yeah, a yeah. Technician. I was doing part time as a technician at London Cultural Fashion, and then I take the tube home and sleep in the tube directly <laughs> to the workshop and work until eleven in the evening or something. And the yeah. days I wasn't at London Cultural Fashion, I just go and work from like ten or eleven in the more uh, noon, and then until twelve in the evening or something. Oh, I remember because we used to have mm. like big conversations <laughs> yeah, in the middle of the night. <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> But like, I also, why are you, why yeah, are you I <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I, I looked, I tried to take a, like a bird's eye view at, at myself, and yeah. I thought, okay, I'm in my early 30s now, and I lived in a shared house with four other people, and I'm the age president there, and. And and what am I doing really? Like, what's what is what is life, and what is it worth? And is it is it just work all the time? And then having some amazing weeks at the at the trade shows and boosting mm-hmm. my career. Uh, and I just I had a nephew in Denmark that I hardly saw. Mm-hmm. So I decided it was time to to move to Denmark and uh, and focus a bit on the family as well. And and you know, feel like what it's it's like to have a life outside work as well yeah. i know what is that tell me tell me no, i still don't know <laughs> because i don't know what that is no <laughs> no I, I, i think it's 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 different here because the energy in, in london is, is so intense and everybody yeah. is hustling to uh, to make it you know mm-hmm. um, which is amazing in so many ways but it's also super hardcore yeah. and uh, and tough you know So I, I think here it's it's um it's nicer because now I just I sit and I work and I focus on one or two things and if I have to take a day off then it's okay you know because the rent is cheaper and living is easier and and all these things so I don't have to to and work you, and you bike everywhere I bike everywhere it doesn't take an hour <laughs> to get everywhere like it did in London you know, know. yeah <laughs> so, so, so I wouldn't um, say I'm I wouldn't say I've, I've I don't work a lot less, but I, I work less, and I started focusing a bit, a little bit on myself, you know. Yeah, no, mm. that that's great. That that's mm. and and are you still a technician? Like, are you or you're not working as? Uh, now I'm I'm not a technician, but I am a, a workshop manager two days yeah. a week at a jewelry school here in Copenhagen as well. Oh, look at you! Uh huh. I know. Building I the minds of the for, future. Yeah. <laughs> Building the minds for the future. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you see yourself like moving forward? What's what's the danger brand looking like in I your think eyes? The danger brand has been in constant development since mm-hmm. forever. Because uh, I can't, I'm not happy sticking to one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and right now, I think I'm going even even more sculptural direction. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I might, I don't, I'm thinking about maybe moving away from jewelry but not from the materials so still still making gold and diamonds and all that stuff but just make tiny sculptures or, or something so so i'm not limited by the wearability of the piece mm-hmm. um, Wait, when i wear this stuff i know <laughs> you can hold it in your hand and <laughs> go through the city <laughs> we need to wear the stuff you but, know but, you I know think... like i made the vases with all the bees um yeah on top and, and stuff like that i really like the idea of, of mixing all the things together yeah no i i love those vases i think mm. that they have such a it's it's such a beautiful combination can you tell me a bit a little bit about them 
I think so. They were from so, uh, one of my workshops in London was a big hub of really, really skilled, creative people. And, mm-hmm. and one of the people there was called Mimi Jung and she was a ceramist mm-hmm. and I really loved her work. Uh, and at the same time, I had gained a huge interest for kintsugi, which is a Japanese way of mending ceramics. Yeah, yes. Using uh, using resin and and uh, soil that you mix together, and it becomes this really hard compound. And then you you paint lacquer over that, and then you put gold dust on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the story with kintsugi is that that back in the days, the that I think it was the Japanese emperor. It could have been the Chinese, but as it is a Japanese technique, I would assume it's the Japanese emperor, but he was fed up with the way they fixed ceramics with the clamps. Mm. So they used to put this wire through and just kind of stitch it together. And he demanded that somebody had to find an aesthetic solution to fix the broken ceramics. And then they developed the Kintsugi technique. Oh, wow. And suddenly uh, all the pottery was worth more after they fixed it with the Kintsugi technique. <laughs> was so aesthetic and there was gold on it so all the potters they would make the pottery and then not all of them but some of them and then break the pottery and then put it back together with kintsugi and suddenly they had a valuable object <laughs> and when i heard that story i thought this is this is amazing you know yeah i love that and break it and you build it up again and, and actually it, it increases in value it's it's so contrary to everything else in the world you know if it's broken yeah. then it's devaluated yes. but here's the opposite and then I, I, I thought about these vases and I really liked the idea of, of um, what if the vases contain gold or honey and, and, and again, the bees collecting the honey. So the first vase is, is just a chipped vase and you see this thin line of gold and the next one it's, it's sliding down the piece from the chip. The chip piece slides down and you see this, it's like gold inside and there's a big slide of gold coming down and there's more and more bees accumulating and the last one there's like a big cluster of bees and there's a lot of gold everywhere and, and basically i don't know if, if you ever noticed but if you have a big um lunch or a cake table in the sun uh, outside and sun there's one bee and it, it it flies off and it tells the friends and suddenly you have a station of bees you know because there's good <laughs> stuff on the table so that's kind of what this, these vases is like there's one bee figuring out and then it, it's telling the other ones and suddenly they're all there you know Oh, that's amazing. Sucking up the honey, yeah. Oh, that's... And I just decided to leave it broken instead of fixing it. I started with a yeah. broken one and it gets more and more broken, I guess, in a way. Yeah, no, I, I love those passes. They're absolutely stunning. Thank you. Ooh, look at you doing hardware, like kitchenware yeah. and like all the stuff. It's like you're going to be like... Still not functional, know. but... <laughs> But it's going to be a lifestyle. Put water in it. <laughs> Danger lifestyle. Mm. You know? <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I contacted Mimi Jung and I, I told her about the idea and, and she uh, instantly understood. And we did like a fourth and back collaboration, I guess. I gave her a sketch of, of the design and she made the sample you just saw on the shelf. Yeah. And we calculated with the shrinkness and then she called me when it was kind of cured, but not so much. And I could cut off the, the chip that was going down and... Then I got to glaze it as well. And then she took it back and, and fired it. And yeah, we had a really good forth and back with those things. So that was really good. That's a great collaboration. And that's I what so, I, yeah. I, I like about you. It's like, I feel like you're very open to collaborate with other artists. And that's like Definitely, something that yeah. is really, and you really push, like even when you were at the fair um, mm. presenting, I remember you will pick other artists that you like and you will show them on Instagram and like yeah, oh yeah. you should see this person and, and this person and you're all always all about collaboration and yeah. and I think that 
more artists should be like that because it, it's a community at the end of the day and what you're doing is not the same thing as other people are doing like you're doing something completely different but yeah. but you you you're very big on lifting everybody up and i think that that's really great oh thank you <laughs> i think especially at a goldsmith bath it's, it's such a unique place you know and yeah and being together in that instead of separate everybody is, is just super important yeah, yeah so i started doing a, a exhibit of the day every day and i found like the seven people that i admired the most that the fan did a little feature on them yeah and it just it played out really well and you know they remember as well and everybody's happy and, and i think it's a really good thing to do yeah but it, you also had that group of artists that you did shows with and and yeah, and, most collective, yeah. Yeah, that was I, really cool as well because we were ten people and we just agreed that now we all push each other's work. Yeah. So suddenly we're a hub of ten people pushing each other's work, and then uh, you, the exposure you get is just very different. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's it's not like if somebody follows me, they won't necessarily follow the other ones, but you're still telling them the story about them and, and hopefully granting work to each other. You know. And that's the that's the important thing. Is it's like it's just sharing the stories of artists and sharing the work and and sharing the passion mm -hmm. which not a lot of people do and i think that that's the important part of the jewelry world because it's a very small world when you Definitely think about yeah. it yeah. they all everybody knows each other everybody can learn from each other but like there's like because um artists are always in a bench doing their work it's just it's very solitary mm -hmm. But building those communities is what makes it important. Oh, definitely. And I feel that even at the shows we had with Decimus, sometimes one of our our clients would go and buy jewelry from one of the other people. Yeah. And it wasn't a problem, which was so amazing because we all agreed, like, we're doing this together. And and then you somebody returned the favor later, you know. It's not yeah. like it's not like you lose a sale because your client buys from somebody else. Exactly. Because otherwise they would have bought for you. you then you have to make better work basically <laughs> it's all on you well, exactly it's like it pushes you to be better and it pushes exactly, you to yeah. to um push the others around and and it, it's, it's just it's a it's a it's a good vicious cycle of goodness mm -hmm. you know <laughs> yeah totally this should be like another world of instead of vicious but it's just a cycle of goodness and a cycle of just like building everybody up and... it's definitely a matter of perspective i think if, if you look at it with different classes on then then you're helping each other out more than competing mm -hmm. um, no for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. uh so i have some compulsory questions mm -hmm. that i like to ask everybody <laughs> yeah. um so what's your favorite gemstone uh, that's a good one i think that is spinel spinel mm -hmm. why why is that there's something about um, the light reflection in the spinel. I think it's it's also the multitude of colors it comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, if you find the right spinel, I think it's more amazing than sapphires or, or anything else. Mm. Um, and I'm not in doubt if I see a spinel eight, like miles away, it, it's just it's popping, you know. Yeah. And last part is that spinel is such a rare gemstone and it's totally undervalued. Yeah. And if you have to look at it a little bit speculative, then at some point people are going to recognize the scarcity of the stone and then yeah. it's going to be unobtainable. And yeah. until then, it's uh, for me, it's just a matter of getting as many as I can because all of a sudden it's too late and then mm. I can't afford them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite metal? Uh, gold, without a doubt. 
Oh, hmm. Any specific carrot? Uh, I only work in 18 carat yeah. on a rare occasion if I feel uh, like a nice guy and somebody asks me then I, I might consider going down to 14 or 9 for that one piece but I try not to mm. um, and I think at the moment actually it's it's rose gold and white gold that's most appealing to me mm. and I think the reason for that is because I looked at yellow gold for such a long time now that I'm yeah. kind of saturated with that color and especially i really like the color of an un rhodium plated white gold that mm. gray steel color and yeah it's like really dark the, yeah and you have that weight of it at the same time and, and you really feel that there's something here you know yeah. tiny piece weighs a good way nice yeah i love that uh what's your favorite technique of or tool my favorite tool yeah of all the tools yes or technique my favorite tool is the parallel plier. Parallel plier. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. It's um, I think it's the most undervalued tool. And I think if people learn to thought about using that for a lot of work, they could save themselves a lot of time and trouble. It's basically a, a plier that when you close it, it, it has two, um, what do you call the jaws? Mm -hmm. Jaws? Yeah, they, they close parallel, like at the same mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Instead of in a V-shape. And, and that really gives you some opportunities when you when you work with your metal uh, in so many ways hmm. so i have i think two of those the two big ones and a small one you need that in every single jewelry workshop no matter how you work very cool mm -hmm. uh who's your favorite artist uh wallace chan for jewelry Who? i think uh wallace chan uh -huh. yes oh wallace. oh yeah yeah for the jewelry scene um and I think Walton Ford really fascinates me. So he's a painter. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, a Castro Smith, for sure. Oh, yeah. yes. We love Castro. Think... <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and I, I don't have a lot of, of favorites, actually. In, no, uh, I, no, I appreciate that, yeah. the arts in general, but there's very few people where I really are fascinated by the work. Yeah. But I would say those three are on my top three. Yeah. Very good. No, it's a it's a it's a good list. Mm -hmm. um, what's your favorite thing to listen while you work? That's very very different. I listen obviously to a lot of rap music still. I listen to <laughs> Biggie. Uh, <laughs> definitely Biggie. Yeah. <laughs> right now I'm listening to the Christmas remix with Biggie. Oh my uh, god, James Brown. Yeah. <laughs> it's an odd one, but it's good. Um, I listen to a lot of. Uh, Electronical music. Mm. I listen to jazz. Really? I listen, yeah. I listen to uh, Blue Note records and I listen to a lot of Stone Throw. Um, then I listen to podcasts when I get lonely and series when I get even more lonely. <laughs> I then I'll just put a series on on Netflix or something and have it running in the background. <laughs> and at one point, I was listening to stand up comedy with Trevor Noah. Oh, but okay. I've stopped that again because. I was doing this this tiny, tiny, intricate wax carving. And I was using, you know, the hot needle. I was heating it up. And then he said something really funny. And I started to laugh. And I, the needle skipped. And I just cut the thing in half. Oh, no. and it was like three hours of work down the drain. No. <laughs> and, and I almost wrote him a fan letter uh, saying that he was too funny. And he had to stop because he ruined my work. But I never got around to that. But maybe I can still do that. I'm saying uh, it now. Trevor Noah, you're too funny. You, you, you should send him a tweet and say, 
Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, I was, the thing is, I wasn't even sorry. I was just laughing so much. And I thought, this is, this is ludicrous, you know. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, mm -hmm. I love that. Do you have any advice for future jewelry artists? I, um, I do, but I also think giving advice is, is um, it's not a one-way road, you know, because everybody's different and, and one advice is good for one person, but maybe not for another. Mm -hmm. I will say one thing is uh, keep on trucking for sure, always. And like uh, with an anecdote to my story from Denmark, with people not recognizing the work, I think it's if you believe in your work, then it's really important to stick to that mm -hmm. and not let you influenced by other people telling you you have to change it or something. Yeah. But you also have to be realistic about it because if your work is shit, then maybe there's reason people are saying, <laughs> you know. So True. so also have a little bit of insight into your own skill set, mm -hmm. maybe, or compare it to people who you really admire and, and say how far away from, from from what is Chan am I, if that's my goal, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's one advice. And another advice that I learned a bit too late, I think, is, is there's so many people giving you good advice or advice anyway. And maybe learn to filter out the advices and look at that person and think when they give you an advice, where are they in their life and what justifies them to give you that advice? Because maybe it's not a good advice and it's just their opinion. Yeah. And many times I had people giving me advice and, and I suddenly realized that's total bullshit, you know. But then there's like one in 20 or one in 10 who gives me an advice and it's an amazing advice and, and you do that and then suddenly it's um, a good advice. Yeah. So a good example is, is when, when I did my graduation show, I, I wanted to go all in and, and find jewelry and spend all my money. But it was also first time doing it ever. And it's like, okay, so what do I do now if I don't sell anything? Then I'm broke, like dead broke. And my good colleague, she said, people who tend to do these things, they normally get rewarded. And you're so skilled, so I'm sure that will happen to you too. Yeah. That's all I needed to hear. And then I did it and, uh, you know, went all in. And I was happy I did ever since that's awesome oh. and then for a bad advice i had an open studios once and this lady came and she was super sweet and nice and then she said can i give you some advice you should keep the quality and the materials but just make it cheaper because it's too expensive and i was like <laughs> just do not compute it's not possible you know it's, it's like mm, you just contradict yourself <laughs> you right can get it cheap, cheap and ugly and bad or expensive and nice and, and with good materials you know it's not you can't really Cut the corners and both so i agree I yeah agree yeah but she really meant it as a, a gesture you know she was trying to help me she, she's like she lady imagine yeah i was like move you. along <laughs> yeah really next <laughs> max you are a delight you are, so are you you're like my brother from another mother mm -hmm. <laughs> we are two different pieces in a different pod but for some reason we met exactly <laughs> yeah <French. laughs> This just <laughs> proves that there's more to life than, than science. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for, for having this conversation with me. You are amazing. I could talk to you for a billion hours. Yeah, well, we're going to anyway later. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for thinking of including me. It's been a Of pleasure. course, of course. Well, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to hearing my own voice for a long stretch. <laughs> <laughs> oh i think you will love Make that I, I think you will love that i, I don't sound like that <laughs> all right maybe um, do you have like a a button that can change my my voice a little bit no like it, it's all, so. no I can't. Okay. all right 
You can find Max Danger on Instagram at danger underscore jewels or visit his website, dangerjewels.com. Thousand Facets is produced and edited by me. Please visit A Thousand Facets on Instagram to see photos of some of the things we spoke about during the interview. Music by Chris Keys. You can find him on Instagram at Chris underscore Keys underscore underscore. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. Cry.